This is Solid Foundation Ministries with Dr. Pierre Couvert, building solid foundations through sound Bible teaching. Welcome back to Solid Foundation Ministries. Today I'm going to play the message that our pastor preached last Wednesday night on the Antichrist because I feel it fits so well with the subject we're covering on end time prophecy. Listen carefully as he preaches to us. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul writing to this church at Thessalonica, he says, Now we beseech you, brethren, I'm begging you, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and by our gathering together unto him, that you be not soon shaken in mind, or be troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter, as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God showing himself that he is God. I have entitled the message tonight, History's Greatest Monster. Can you imagine, just for a minute, what it would feel like to think that you missed the rapture, to think that you were left behind, to think that you were having to go through the tribulation period. Now, follow me, that is exactly how these Thessalonians felt in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. No wonder they were shaken up. No wonder they were troubled in your mind, their minds. Would you be shaken up? I would be shaken up if I knew the rapture took place and I missed it. Or if I knew I had to go through the tribulation period. No wonder they were that way. Some false teachers had told them that the day of the Lord had already come. In fact, I believe by verse number 2 that they had literally forged a letter in Paul's name. And saying that the day that the rapture had take place, that it was the day of the Lord. And by the way, the day of the Lord is God's judgment on the earth. Whenever you see that day of the Lord, that's God's judgment on the earth. And so these false teachers had told them that, that the Lord had already come. The rapture had already taken place. The tribulation period was going on. And they were in the tribulation period. And no wonder they were troubled and shaken by that. They falsely told them again that they were in the great tribulations. There's a difference between going through tribulation and going through the tribulation period. All of God's children face tribulation in this life. We all go through tribulations and trials, but none, thank God for this, none of God's children are going to go through the tribulation period. There's a difference between the two. We all go through tribulation but the rapture takes place before the tribulation period, and so we do not go through the tribulation period. If you can think of God's prophetic calendar, the next event on God's prophetic calendar is the rapture. And it could happen tonight. And that is an exciting thought to think the trumpet's going to blow, the shout's going to go forth, and we that are saved will be out of here. The dead are going to rise first. Those of us who are alive and are saved, we'll meet them in the, with the Lord in the air. We'll be forever with the Lord. That's the rapture. Then after the rapture takes place, this man of sin is going to be revealed. He's going to make a covenant with Israel. And that begins the tribulation period. 
in the middle of that seven-year covenant, the three-and-a-half-year point, he breaks that covenant. Jesus called it the abomination of desolation. He goes into the temple and he, he breaks that covenant with the Jews. And the last three-and-a-half years are called the Great Tribulation, the time of Jacob's trouble. And I am so thankful I am out of here before that comes up. So again, you can understand why these Thessalonian believers are shaken, why they are troubled, because they've been taught falsely by these false teachers. They missed the rapture, and they're going to go through this tribulation period, and they're going to go through the great tribulation, and you can imagine why they are shaken up. And so that's why Paul says to them in these, these words in verse 1, I'm begging you, brethren, and he, he reminds them, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, Thank God Jesus Christ is coming again. And then notice, and by our gathering together unto him. Aren't you glad that their Lord is coming and we're going to be gathered with the Lord? What a thought that is. And he says, because of that, don't be soon shaken in mind. It means to be shaken up, to be too, moved to and fro. They thought they had missed the rapture and, and man, they are all shaken up in their minds. And then Paul says, you don't have to be shaken up, you don't have to be troubled. It literally means this, to be so nervous that you're crying out, you're wailing out. And so they think they missed the rapture and they're shaking about it and they're crying out, they're wailing out, oh no, we've been left behind. Paul said, you don't have to be shaken about it, you don't have to be troubled about it, you did not miss the rapture, Jesus Christ is coming again. I love the two words in verse 1, coming and I love the word gathering together unto him. Aren't you glad when the Lord comes, we're going to be gathered together with the Lord Jesus Christ? I love Sunday morning because we gather together. I love Sunday night because we gather together. I love Wednesday night because we gather together. But I tell you, the greatest gathering of Temple Baptist Church was when the Lord comes and we are all gathered together with the saints of God together unto Him. What a great verse that is. So because of that, we don't have to be shaken up. The Lord's getting us out of here. We don't have to be troubled. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. Do you believe in God? Believe also in me, John 14 and verse 1. We don't have to be shaken. We don't have to be troubled. The Lord is going to come again in the rapture, and we're going to be gathered with him. We can rest in that great promise, that great assurance. Paul said there in verse number 3, then these words, let no man deceive you by any means. So Paul admonished them. Don't be deceived. And boy, that's pertinent admonishment for us today. There are many deceivers in the world today. And hear me, there are many deceivers on the internet today. And they will tell you a lot of things about the coming of the Lord. And as your pastor, I, I want to plead with you and I want to warn you, beware of them. There are many false teachers out there today. And if you hear a date setter, you stay away from that guy. You hear, well, the Lord's going to come back on May 1st, 2021. Stay away from that guy. Date setters are upsetters. Stay away from that guy. Let no man deceive you. Don't be deceived by that. No man knows the day nor the hour, the Bible says. And then he says to us, For that day shall not come except there come a falling away first. That's going to happen before that day comes. The Lord says here that there's going to be a falling away from the truth in these last days. We find the word apostasy from that. 
And I want to tell you, if you look around churches today and you look around at what's going on on the church landscape in America and around the world today, I think you would have to agree with me that there is a great falling away from the truth, a great falling away from the Word of God, a great falling away from the faith today. People are getting away from the Bible and getting away from the truth. There's a great falling away. And I'm not talking about the world out there. I'm talking about churches and preachers are falling away from what they used to preach and what they used to teach. And so we're at the threshold, friend. When that falling away takes place, it says that man of sin is going to be revealed. And I and I want to ask you tonight, who is that man of sin? He is known by several names in the Bible. Maybe you want to jot these down. It's the same character. We call him the Antichrist. In Revelation, he is called the Beast. In Daniel, he is called the Little Horn. In Daniel, he is called the Willful King. He is Satan's Messiah. I like to call him history's greatest monster because he is a beast and he is a monster. And let me tell you, friend, the spirit of the Antichrist is already at work right now in the United States of America and in this world. This world is set up. I mean, it's like someone's already set the stage. They they already put the platform in place for the man of sin to drop in place. It is all set up for him because the spirit of Antichrist is already among us. That word Antichrist means anti or against Christ. And I tell you, the spirit of our age is Antichrist. It is against Christ. It is in place of Christ. And it is setting the world stage for this man, the Antichrist, to come. And there have been many monsters on planet Earth. We could take a history lesson on them. Nero, what a monster he was. Burned down Rome and then blamed the Christians for it. A monster. Adolf Hitler, what a monster that man was. Burning Jews, killing people by the thousands. Mao, perhaps the greatest monster of human history. What a monster he was. All the killings he, had, he committed there in China and in that region. What a monster. But I want to tell you, Nero and Mao and Hitler and Mussolini and any other monster you want to say cannot touch this monster called the Antichrist. He is history's greatest monster. And do you know he might be on the earth right now? Let me give you three characteristics of history's greatest monster. Number one, this monster, the man of sin, the Bible calls him here, is the lawless one. Again, notice in verse 3, it says, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there coming a falling away first. And then the Bible calls him the man of sin. And it says, The man of sin be revealed. And so number one, this man of sin is called the, the lawless one, the man of sin. What a title. Superman, he's called the man of steel. Satan, Superman, is called the man of sin. He's the embodiment of all sin. He is the lawless one. He is a rebel. Notice this verse does not say that the man of sin is going to be born. We know he's going to be born, but it says the man of sin is going to be revealed. He will already be on this planet, Earth, when he is revealed or when he is unveiled. And quite possibly, he is living right now. And that falling away takes place, the rapture takes place, and boom, here he is. He's revealed, he is unveiled, that man of sin. 
And we have to understand that Satan has been warring against God ever since Isaiah 14. Lucifer said five times, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. The last one being, I will exalt myself to God. And God said, no, you will not. I will not share my glory with any man. And he booted Satan out of heaven. Jesus said, I saw him like lightning fall from heaven. And ever since that time, Satan has been at war with God. And this man of sin, uh, this monster, this lawless man is Satan empowered, Satan filled. And I want to tell you, he sets on the stage and he will be the incarnation of all that is wicked. Someone said it this way. I love this quote. He will be the devil wearing human clothes. Just like Jesus Christ was God in human flesh. The Antichrist is a copycat of Jesus Christ, but on the other side. He is the devil in human flesh. The devil in human clothes. The man of sin will love sin. He will encourage sin. He will promote sin. He will reward sin. And our world is moving rapidly to that time when the man of sin will step on the sage because our world is already filled with sin and lawlessness. Every generation gets further and further away from the Lord and further and further into sin and shame, don't they? Permissiveness and perversion are accepted in our day. I mean, sins which our previous generation would blush at are normal in our day. Clothes, or the lack thereof, that would cause people to blush just 40 years ago, now are the normal clothes of our day. Words, language, that people would blush at 40 years ago, now those are kind of the normal words of our day. I'm just saying this world is becoming more and more sinful. Evil men and seducers are waxing worse and worse. Lawlessness is abounding. It is setting the stage for this man of sin. Deviant behavior is praised in our day. And what is called right is called wrong now. And what is called wrong is called right now. And a... A Baptist preacher like me that says, listen, a man being with a man is an abomination in the sight of God. Now, the ones on the other side, our growing pervasive society is going to say that I am the abnormal one for saying that. They will call me unloving because I say that a man should marry a woman and they should stay married till death do them part. But I want to tell you that's what the Bible says and anything else is a perversion. They will say that I'm intolerant because I will say that life begins at conception and that uh, that abortion is the murder of the unborn and that that child should have a choice and that child is fearfully and wonderfully made in the sight of Almighty God and to abort a child is murder and an abomination in the sight of God. These six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. A proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. And there's nothing more innocent than a child being in the womb and I call that a sin I call that abomination and they'll get mad at me for saying that I'm just saying if I stand up and I say that a man ought to go to a boy's bathroom and a girl ought to go to a girl's bathroom they will say to me I can't believe how lack of inclusive you are you see what I'm saying it's all setting up for the man of sin isn't it 
We're going to get to Daniel chapter 11. That man, the man of sin has no desire for women. I'm telling you, this unisex homosexual world is all leading up to that man of sin. You can mark it down. It's not an accident. The devil is getting the wheels going to bring his sin, the man of sin, the man of lawlessness on the stage. This old-fashioned Baptist preacher is not unloving for saying that a man ought to marry a woman. He is loving by saying that. And he is not unloving by saying that a man ought to go to a man's bathroom and a woman ought to go to a woman's bathroom. He is loving by saying that. And he is not unloving or intolerant by saying that to abort a baby is murder in the sight of God. No, he is loving by saying that. Because anyone that tells you the truth always cares about you the most. I was preaching in West Virginia. Actually, this has happened to me several times. But if you go up to Beckley, West Virginia, if you get on I-77 here and truck north, and you get to Beckley, West Virginia, and at Beckley, West Virginia, if you get US-19 and continue north up through West Virginia, you will come about 45 minutes from Beckley to this town called Summersville. And every time I preach in Beckley, West Virginia, I have a very dear friend that lives there, and he's warned me, but a lot of times I'll meet him there and then proceed from there to preach wherever I'm preaching up through West Virginia or, or that section of the country. And, and I mean, without a doubt, people always warn me, you get to Summersville, you better watch out. If you go more than the speed limit, it's a four lane, but it's 45 mile an hour. And they said, if you are out of state and you go 46, they are going to pull you over. You better not go more than 45 there. I mean, if you are in Beckley, they will all tell you that. In fact, they have billboards that people from out of state have actually bought to warn people, do not go more than 45 miles because they will pull you over there. When those people tell me, can you imagine if I said to them, man, I can't believe you told me that. I want to do what I want to do. I'm going to go 90 miles an hour through there. If I went 90 miles an hour through there and they pulled me over, it would be my fault, not the fault of the guy that warned me. Because you would think it's 55, the nature of that road. And everyone that warned me about that said, oh, thank you so much. I don't want to get a ticket. I don't want to go over the speed limit. Thank you for telling me. Look here, it's the same way with the Baptist preacher that cares about you. He is not unloving to tell you these things. He is loving to tell you these things. I tell you, the ones that are unloving are the ones that tell you to marry a guy, to marry another guy. That's a vile affection, sin against God, and you are leading to a miserable life. A transgenderism, you can read the facts. It's not going to make you happy, my friends. The loving thing is to follow the Bible way. All I'm saying by all of that is to say, God is at work in this world, but you can mark down Satan is also working and setting the stage for the man of sin. And the Hollywood industry has been the driving force to much of this. And sexual sins are shoved down our throats and child molestation and predators seem to be lurking around every corner and getting worse every passing day. I didn't read the article, but I, I just caught the, high, uh, the, the headline there in Florida a day or so ago with this child uh, pedophile down there that the FBI went to get him, and I believe he shot and killed some of those guys. We see all of that, and I'm telling you, it's all setting the stage for the lawless one, the man of sin. We live in a lawless world, and it's getting ready for the lawless one. That's number one. Number two, the second characteristic Number one, the man of sin is the lawless one. Number two, the man of sin is the lost one. 
Look at the end of verse number 3. The Bible calls him the man of sin. And then the last four words, the son of perdition. Paul calls this man of sin, the, the lost one, the, the son of perdition. That word perdition means loss, ruin, doom, destruction. The word is used to describe everyone that rejects Jesus Christ. Listen tonight, if you don't know Christ as Savior, you are, the Bible says, lost. 2 Peter 3, 7. It depicts the terrible loss that every lost man will suffer. They'll die and go to hell if they're lost. And they'll be a child of perdition, destruction, ruin forevermore. The, the, the word perdition is only applied to one other character in all the Bible. Who is it? Anyone know? Judas Iscariot. Jesus called Judas the son of perdition. John 17, 12, the lost one, the ruined one, the one who has wasted his life. Now, I don't have time to expound upon this, but some Bible teachers actually believe that the Antichrist is going to be a, a resurrected Judas. That Judas Iscariot's going to be resurrected, and that's going to be the Antichrist. I'm not going to delve into that. I do know this, that monster is going to be the son of perdition. Vile, vicious, and abominable. Look here, when you contrast Christ and the Antichrist, what a contrast it is. Jesus Christ is the son of God. The Antichrist is the son of perdition. The Bible says that Jesus Christ is the man of sorrows. The Antichrist is the man of sin. The Bible says that Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God. The Antichrist is the beast. I call him history's greatest monster. Jesus Christ came from above. The Antichrist will come from below. Jesus Christ came to save. The Antichrist will come to destroy. Jesus Christ humbled himself, and then God exalted him and gave him a name above every name. The Antichrist will exalt himself, but praise God, God will humble him. Jesus Christ is the truth. The Antichrist is a liar because his father is the devil who is the father of lies. He's empowered by Satan, and so... He is, number one, the lawless one. Number two, he is the lost one. Number three, the third characteristic of the Antichrist, the man of sin is the lawless one. He is the lost one. Number three, he is the lofty one. And I get that by verse four. Who, speaking of the man of sin, the beast, history's greatest monster, the Antichrist, opposeth, would you mark that word? The word oppose means to lie opposite. He is at, at the opposition of everything that Christ is. And notice, and exalteth. Would you mark that word? He exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped. He's the lofty one. Let's just stop right there. We'll look at the end of verse in a minute. It sounds just like Satan, doesn't it? I will. I will. I will, I will, I will. I will be like the Most High. Satan 
wanted that position. He exalted himself, wanted the position that belonged only to deity, to God. And that's why God cast him out of heaven. And by the way, ever since then, Satan has wanted to be worshipped, hasn't he? Remember when, the, when Satan tempted the Lord? What did he want the Lord to do? If you'll bow down and worship me, I'll give you all of this. Satan has craved to be worshipped, and sadly many are fulfilling his craving right now. The beast, the Antichrist, is Satan in human clothes. <laughs> uh, by that I mean he is Satan empowered. And like Lucifer himself, he will oppose God and he will exalt himself and promote himself that I am God. Worship me. And obviously I don't have the time to expound upon this, but that's where the mark of the beast comes in, right? It would be basically the Antichrist, the beast, this monster saying, I'm doing away with all religions of the world. There's only one world religion now. And that one world religion, in essence, is you worship me. And you bow down to me. And you get my mark on you. And if you don't get my mark on you, what happens, church? You're beheaded. Like every proud dictator, he will want to be worshipped by man. He is the lofty one. Let's look at the end of verse 4. Notice the Bible says, So that he, as God, sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself. My Bible, I marked exalteth himself and here it says showing himself that he is God it literally means he's he's showing off he's acting like I am God he's going to sit in the temple of God we know the temple in Jerusalem is going to be rebuilt one day right now there's a mosque sitting there and and I don't have time to go into all of that but the temple is going to be rebuilt one day and that's where the the beast he's going to commit this abomination desolation he's going to go into the temple of God he's going to sacrifice an animal and the Jews are going to say you're not allowed to do that you're not a priest and they're going to wake up and they're going to say wait a second he's not the Christ he is the Antichrist the real Christ is Jesus Christ and they'll finally believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and that begins the great tribulation period the time of Jacob's trouble where he kills the Jews by the masses and he will exalt himself like I am God in essence he will create a state church in which he'll be the object of all worship I want you to turn back with me to Daniel chapter 11 if you will Daniel 11 tells us about the little horn the king is the same person the antichrist the beast Daniel 11:36 the Bible says and the king shall do according to his will he's very willful very proud and he shall exalt himself we just read that and notice and magnify himself above every god and shall speak marvelous things against the god of gods he's going to blaspheme our god and shall prosper till the indignation be accomplished for that that is determined shall be done notice 37 Neither shall he regard the God of his fathers, nor the desire of women. So this man has no desire for women, nor regard any God. Here it is. For he shall magnify himself above all. But in his estate shall he honor the God of forces. And a God whom his fathers knew not shall he honor with gold and silver and with precious stones and pleasant things. He's the lofty one. If you are not saved, you should shake in your boots right now. Because I promise you, that great tribulation is going to be unlike anything we have seen. 
Well, I'll tell you, I've had people say, right now, I'll tell you what, I just feel like it's hell on earth right now. Brother, you haven't seen anything yet. If I were a lost man, I would run into the arms of Jesus as fast as I could, symbolically speaking, and trust Christ as Savior and get saved because you don't want to be here during that time. Now, let's flip it around. If you're saved, teenagers, you don't have to be shaken or troubled by these things. Rest in the Lord. In fact, as I study 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and Revelation and Daniel chapter 11 and so forth, I don't get shaken. I don't get troubled because I know I'm not going to be here during that time. I tell you what I do, man, I I start doing a little jig. I get excited (laughs) because I think to myself, I'm seeing all these things unfold. We're right there at the threshold. I'm not a date setter, but I we're right there at the coming of the Lord. And then that gets me excited. Thank God, as a child of God, we are called out of here. And we're gathered together with him. We don't go through these things. Here's my other application. When I see what's going on in the world and I see how it's setting the stage for the man of sin, it makes me think if my lost loved ones or my lost friends, I've got to reach them because the time is so short. You have been listening to Solid Foundation Ministries from Lenore, North Carolina. Dr. Kuvert has 35 years in the ministry as a former missionary and pastor. He is available for revivals and various conferences on missions, Bible, Baptist heritage, and the family. To find out more, go to our website, solidfoundationministries.com, or call 828-244-6505. Remember, the Christian life is not about you. It's about God receiving the glory.